Today, we're going to talk about biblical prosperity through the lens of love. This is an important topic. It's a little bit of a hot topic, I think, especially if you uh, are in the Christian culture and you've been privy to some of the debates and some of the issues that have been going on associated with the word prosperity. But uh, I believe in biblical prosperity. I believe that God is good, that we serve a good God and that he has a good plan. We serve a good God who is powerful and well able to do his will, and he's got a good plan. So this is biblical prosperity. Let's go to Jeremiah 29, 11, a famous verse along these lines. Jeremiah 29, 11 says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Powerful, powerful stuff. God doesn't want to harm us. He's got plans to prosper us, give us a hope and a future. That's a good thing. We'll talk about the context of Jeremiah 29, 11 later on in the sermon. But let's jump to John 10, 10. Another important verse. Jesus says here, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Life to the full, life more abundantly. This is what God has for us. There is a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but we serve a God who is good, who has come to give us life, life to the full, who has a plan for us, not to harm us, but to prosper us. This is biblical prosperity. But all too often, people will come to me and they'll ask the question, something along these lines, Why did God do this terrible thing? Why did God do this evil thing that has happened in my life? Why did this bad thing happen? And they assume that God is the one behind it. So this leads people to believe that God is bad and that he will hurt you or abandon you. And this is not the case. And people, of course, don't say it that way. They don't say, well, I think God is evil since he's doing these evil things and I'm afraid he's going to hurt me or abandon me. Good Christian people don't say that. But there's a thing in their heart that is contradictory to the idea that God is good and that God has a good plan for your life, that biblical prosperity is real. There's a, there's a contradiction in people's hearts. And that's what I want to talk about today, because I don't want anyone to think that God is bad, that God does evil things, that you really are in danger of God abandoning you or God hurting you at any time. This misunderstanding can cause a lot of problems in the hearts of people because we must remember that God loves us. God loves you. God loves me. And he's not going to do things to hurt us. He isn't evil. He is good. He isn't prone to abandonment or, you know, doing anything along those lines. He's not going to hurt you. He's not going to abandon you. He'll never leave you or forsake you, but then we go through stuff. And how do we interpret that through the lens of love rather than interpreting that as we can't trust God or that God does hurtful things. Now, I do not believe that God is bad or that he wants to hurt you or anyone else. Jesus died on the cross for each individual in this broken world because God is good. God goes out of his way to reach sinful people, broken people, hurting people. God is good. 
He's not bad. And again, most Christian people will acknowledge that. You know, you can do the thing, God is good all the time and all the time God is good. And people know to say that, but then they go through a difficulty and they're not sure how to interpret it. They're not able to see that through the lens of love. So how do we do this? Well, first, you know, we must believe in biblical prosperity, biblical uh, ideas regarding abundant life, that God is good and his plan for us is good. Now, we don't want to go into the false prosperity deal where people think that God is the ticket to get your covetous, selfish, sinful desires. That's not it at all. God isn't interested in you getting all your covetous things, you know, that sort of a deal. That's not what God wants. God does want you to prosper, not in that very self-centered and superficial way, but in powerful, true ways. God wants you to flourish and prosper. In fact, you know, if you think that prosperity means that you get to be an arrogant hoarder of the good things God has done for you, that's not it. There was a story that Jesus told about a guy who had a huge harvest and he was like, you know what? I'm going to tear down my barns because they're not big enough for the harvest. I'm going to build new barns and I'm going to store everything and I'm going to take it easy for years. And that very day, his life was demanded of him and, and what good was all of this stuff that he had amassed? We are not blessed to be arrogant hoarders. We are blessed to be a blessing. We are blessed to help others. We are blessed, you know, financially, if you can give and help out, fantastic. But not everyone is blessed financially, but we can be blessed with peace in our heart and help other people. We can be blessed with the knowledge of the goodness of God and share the gospel with others. We can be blessed in so many ways, but we're blessed to be a blessing. We connect with God, grow in our faith so that we can reach out and make a difference for other people. So don't get caught up in the selfish prosperity gospel. This is about helping others, about personally thriving so that we can help other people. Now, this is, I think that's fairly obvious, but one of the things that I got tripped up with as an early believer was I understood sacrifice. I understood giving up things for the cause of Christ, but I took that too far and I gave up things that I didn't need to give up. I assumed that I would be living a life of poverty. I assumed I would be living a life of hardship and I assumed that I would just have difficulties and it would be an uphill climb the whole way. And that's just not the case. I took this into a misery gospel ditch. Now that selfish prosperity gospel isn't where it is, but also the misery gospel isn't where it is. You know, it isn't that we should just be miserable and then we know we're in God's will. That's not it either. So where do we see the truth here? We need to look at the scriptures. So I'm going to make three points just a million other things that we could talk about. So this is not an exhaustive treatment of the subject, but let's look at three things. Let's talk about point number one. God did not do that evil thing. It's important to recognize that there is more going on in this world than God. There is the devil. There is the sin of people. There's the curse, which is the judgment of God against the sin in the earth. All of these are bad things that we have to deal with. So if the devil does something like, for example, to 
Job, the devil took away his family, his wealth, and his health. Now, when we see the attacks of the devil in this life, and then we attribute what the devil did to God, then it's going to cause us to walk into a contradiction that we can't fix. Because if I'm saying, you know, God is good, and then the devil brings in evil, and I say, God did that, and God is good. God did this evil, and God is good. I'm going to be stuck in a contradiction, and it's not going to be something that I can figure out. Because the reality is is that the devil did that. It wasn't God. The devil will do things to try to hurt us. We already read John 10, 10, where Jesus says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but he came to give us life, life to the full. Who steals, kills, and destroys? The thief does. And I think the thief very clearly could be seen as the devil, but I think there are people who are thieves in this world too, who steal your joy, who do evil to us and bring destruction. Absolutely the sin of this world, the evil things that people do, not just the demonic and and the things of Satan, but also just the sin of this world brings evil into our lives. And that's not God. God did not do that. That was the devil or the sin of this world. So if we attribute that to God, we're going to run into a difficult spot. So God is not the thief. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came to give us life, life to the full, life more abundantly. Let's also go to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Another fairly straightforward section of scripture. First Peter five, eight and nine says this, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour, resist him standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. So the devil is prowling around looking for someone to devour. The devil will devour given the opportunity. He will bring all kinds of destruction and hurt and pain. We have to resist the devil, but all throughout the world, people are experiencing this kind of suffering. Do not attribute that to God. God doesn't go around prowling around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That's not God. That's the devil. So make sure that you understand that it is not God doing the evil thing, but The devil does evil things. There's the sin of this world. People do evil things. It's just the way it is. So we need to be careful not to attribute those things to God. Make sure that we attribute those things to the devil, to sin, all that. Get that right. Now, if you've been taught that God is the author of evil, maybe it hasn't been that straightforwardly, but somehow you believe that every evil thing that happens in this world, God is doing for a reason. If you've been taught that, I'm very sorry. But you've been taught a lie. God is good. God has a good plan. He does not do evil and he is not going to bring evil into your life. Don't believe that lie. Now, the second piece of this, you know, God did not do this evil thing. I've heard so many people say, well, but God allowed it. God allowed the evil thing. God allowed it. All right. I'm not going to try to answer this question in a minute and a half. We'll see how that goes. Well, here we go. If God allowed it, let's look at Luke 17 and uh, Revelation 21. So Luke 17 verses 1 and 2 says this. Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. 
It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So does that sound like God is allowing things, allowing the evil of this world? Well, if he's going to judge the evil of this world, and it's going to be worse than being thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around your neck. You know, in our context, it would be basically like one of those huge anchors that one of the Lakers has, you know, a thousand foot ship out on Lake Superior, a huge anchor. It'd be like having one of those anchors tied around your neck and thrown out in the middle of Lake Superior. Is that good news? No, that's bad news. Does that sound like that God God is allowing people to hurt other people. No, he's going to judge that. He's going to bring destruction to those who do those things. So let's look at Revelation 21 is the same thing. Revelation 21, six through eight says this. He said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end to the thirsty. I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. So all of these people who do evil, all of that evil will be judged they will be sent to the lake of fire. That's the second death. And they're going to be in serious trouble. Does that sound like God is allowing it? I don't think that's allowing it. Just like, you know, we prayed for the United States. Do we allow murder in the United States? No, we have laws against it. We bring charges against people who murder and, and we have life or even the death penalty for those who murder. We don't allow it, but it still happens. God doesn't allow evil. What he does allow is the opportunity for repentance. So there is a lag between the sin that we commit and the judgment that comes because God allows for repentance. We of course have free will and with our free will, we can somehow fail God and, and sin. That's something that happens. God does not, you know, he's not allowing us to sin in that sense because he's going to bring judgment against us. He's going to destroy all those who do evil and bring evil into this world. Unless of course we repent. Second Peter chapter three Verse nine, Peter is talking about how come God doesn't intervene sooner? Why doesn't he do something now? Why doesn't Jesus return and deal with all the evil of this world and fix it all? Here's the answer. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So we see that God does allow for time to repent because he doesn't want anyone to perish. And it's because of the love of God that the judgment of God is delayed. So when we see this through the lens of love, it's not that God is doing these evil things or that God is even allowing it in that sense, because he's going to bring powerful judgment against those who do evil, but he does allow time for repentance. So let's repent. Let's ask for forgiveness. Let's turn to God. Let us repent. So point one, God did not do that evil thing. Don't forget that there is a devil. There are demons. There are people who sin. You know, there are people who sin because you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The things that you did, God wasn't doing. It was you sinning. So those consequences are real. He doesn't allow that the way I'm saying it because he brings judgment against it. 
but he does allow a time, a lag so that we can repent and be forgiven. Point number two, as far as biblical prosperity is concerned, you have to fight to get into the promised land. Just like the nation of Israel had to fight the giants. They had to displace the people who were in the promised land and they had to take it. They had to fight and it took time and it was messy. And sometimes it went well. And sometimes it went poorly. They had to fight to take the promised land. And it's the same for us. We have to fight to take life to the full, to take life more abundantly. We have to fight for that. And sometimes it's messy. Sometimes it's difficult, but we have to fight. I'm very disappointed when people basically look at their life and they just say, well, I guess that's what God wants. And they quit fighting. Don't do that. Don't just say, well, this is the way it is. So this must be what God wants. So I'm not going to try anymore. I'm not going to try because why would I go against God? Well, that's ridiculous. You have to fight. I'm going to read some biblical promises and these biblical promises all have responsibilities that we need to fulfill. I don't think there's a promise in the Bible that doesn't include a responsibility on our side. If you can find a promise that has nothing to do with us, then put it in the comments. That'd be great. Send me a letter. I'd love to hear about that, but I don't think there is one. So I encourage you to go look and you can prove me wrong on that. But I think every promise in the Bible includes something we're supposed to do. There's a responsibility on our end. So let me just read some real quick here. Matthew 6, 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. This is in the don't be anxious, don't worry about it, everything, but trust God. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things, your basic necessities, will be given to you as well. Our responsibility is to seek his kingdom and his righteousness. So if these things aren't being added to you, then start fighting, uh, start putting first his kingdom and his righteousness. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So we can be free from anxiety, but there's a process. There's something we have to do. We have to by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present our requests to God. So if you're not going to God in prayer with a thankful heart and presenting your requests to God, spending that time getting an understanding of how this all works, God's will in each situation, if you're not doing that, you're not going to experience the peace of God. You need to fight for the peace of God. But the way that you do that is by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, presenting your requests to God. You have a responsibility. Don't just say, hey, God, give me some peace. And then, oh, don't have any peace. And now you give up. You have to fight to get that. James 4, 7 and 8. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So we want to resist the devil, right? Well, how do we do that? I, sometimes we have trouble with the enemy. Well, we need to submit to God, then resist the devil. And, you know, wash your hands, purify your hearts. These are things we need to do, responsibilities that we have. If we aren't purifying our hearts, if we aren't washing our hands, meaning cleaning up our lives so that we're not doing evil things, you know, submitting to the devil's will for our life, but instead we submit to God's will for our life, we need to fight the fight by doing that. And then we can learn to resist the devil and make him flee. James 5, 14 and 15. Is any one of you sick? 
Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. So here is anyone sick. We're to call the elders together and anoint them with oil and pray in faith. Very important. Now we try to do this. I mean, I got my oil right here. You know, right now is a little bit of a weird time for calling the elders together and anointing people with oil, but uh, we do that. We got our anointing oil right here, and do we always see God heal every time? Boy, that'd be great. But I still believe James 5, 14, 15. I'm believing to get better at this and to see more healings, to see God do more miracles. But I'm going to keep trusting this. If my experience doesn't line up with the scriptures, I'm going to not trust my experience. I'm still going to trust the scriptures. Mark 11, 23, 24. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Believe that you have received it. Now, that teaching has maybe been driven pretty far one way, but let me tell you this. It says right here, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. There are things that God has already provided for us and all we have to do is go take it. All we have to do is believe and receive. For example, the forgiveness of God that has been provided for you. Maybe you don't feel forgiven. Maybe you don't feel like you've been washed clean and brought into the good graces of God. Well, you have to believe it and receive it. And there are other things besides forgiveness that God has offered us. There's the full armor of God. There are all kinds of things in the scriptures that we need to believe and receive. We always have a responsibility. And if you can find some promises without a responsibility, let me know. We have a responsibility. So we need to fight to get into the promised land. Biblical prosperity doesn't just magically happen without us fighting the good fight. We have to fight for it. It's very, very important. So don't quit and just blame God. Keep fighting. Then the next part in that fighting to get to the promised land, we should talk about hardship as discipline. Sometimes there are difficulties we'll go through and it's discipline from God. I want to read from Hebrews 12. Verses 7 through 11, my wife and I have a phrase we like to say, and it's called, don't waste the pain. If you're going to go through a hardship, you might as well learn the lesson. Don't waste the pain. Hebrews 12, 7 through 11. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, We have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. One of the realities of the hardships of life is that God is training us. He's disciplining us. There are hardships that we go through so that we can learn hard lessons. Now, of course, we know this is the way it is. If you're a parent and you've raised a kid, they want to chase the ball out into the street and you got to teach them. No, you cannot chase the ball out into the street. Why do we discipline a child and teach them not to chase the ball out into the street? It isn't because we hate them. It's because we love them. Why does God discipline his children, his sons and daughters? 
because he loves us and he's trying to help us. He's trying to teach us. He's trying to motivate us to go the right direction, to learn some hard lessons. And that in fact is the context of Jeremiah 29, 11 that we read earlier. So often quoted as a, a just a simple prosperity verse, you know, God's not going to harm you. He's going to prosper you. He's got a good plan for you. Well, the context of Jeremiah, you know, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, Jeremiah 29, 11, is that the people have been taken out of the promised land into the Babylonian captivity. And it's like, okay, you'll only be stuck there for 70 years, but then you'll be able to come back. I've got a good plan for you, not to harm you, but to prosper you and, and, you know, to do good things. So the context of that is the discipline of God, that there will be hardships followed by something better. And when we go through hardships, we should endure them as discipline because we know God is trying to help us. He's trying to teach us to grow us up. So the key with this one that you have to fight to get into the promised land is that God will show you the way to victory. He is not the obstacle in your way. He is your deliverer. He is your healer. He is your rescuer. He is your savior. So in the midst of all those difficulties, you turn to God to help you learn to fight your way through it and get the victory. My ministry life, I've been doing this for 20 years. My ministry life in the beginning was draining and unsustainable. You know, burnout was part of my normal experience. Not anymore. I've learned some lessons. I've understood how to fight into the promised land, how to grab hold of abundant life. Now there's way more that I have to learn, but let me assure you, there's way more that you have to learn too. Don't just say, well, this is what God wants and I'm giving up. Fight to take the promised land. Point number three, even with all of that, even with the fact that God does not do evil things, that he is good. And the fact that we have to fight to get into the promised land, but God will guide us through that. He will equip us to fight the good fight. Even with all of that, this life isn't fair, right? This life is not fair. And here's something that's really important. There's something bigger than you and me going on here. It's not just about my life and whether or not I'm getting the victory and enjoying things and all that. There is a huge war between heaven and hell going on right now. And there is truly collateral damage. There are great people of God who are martyred, who are persecuted, who suffer intensely, not because of their sin, but because of the war between heaven and hell, between, uh, between God and the devil, between good and evil. This war is going on and we can get caught up in it and actually be collateral damage because guess what? You and I aren't the center of the universe. I'm sorry, (laughs) but we just aren't. There is more going on than you and me. We are little pieces of the puzzle, but there is this huge battle going on. Stephen was martyred. These things still happen. We can get caught up in the evil of this world and experience this darkness, this pain, this suffering. But we are fighting for a cause that that is worth dying for. This is the eternal kingdom of God. This life is not all there is. So we need to make sure that we understand that when this life shows itself to not be fair, that we see things from an eternal perspective. Let's go to 2 Timothy 2, 2 Timothy 2, just verse 3. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. 
So the apostle Paul, who suffers for the kingdom of God, encourages Timothy, the young, timid pastor, the young, timid minister. He encourages them, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. This is not the final promised land. We can get a glimpse of the goodness of God in this life, but there's a war going on. And sometimes we get caught up in it and we have to suffer like a good soldier. First Peter chapter two verses 19 through 21 says this, for it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, that is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. So we experience injustice. We fight in a war because this life isn't fair, but God straightens it all out. This life isn't all there is. If we were only looking to this life for satisfaction and joy and happiness, then there are people who are not experiencing that even in the least, but they are suffering for their faith and they are dying for their faith. But Jesus in the sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 11 and 12 says this blessed are you when people insult you persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you great is your reward in heaven. So we know that this life isn't fair, but God's going to straighten it out. Those who suffer unjustly, God will give them rewards in heaven. So we trust God. So by recap, Three points. God did not do that evil thing. Point number two, you have to fight to get to the promised land. And point number three, even with that, this life isn't fair. This life is just not fair, but God will straighten it out. God will straighten it out in the end. We're going to close in prayer. Now, if you've got a prayer need, you can go to our email prayer team, prayer at goodhope.ag. They will pray with you. doesn't matter what the need is. They would love to pray with you. If you're wanting to start a relationship with Jesus, you're not really sure how to do that. You want some help. You can email me, Pastor Mike at goodhope.ag. I would love to help you with that process. But let's close in prayer, trusting God for his goodness. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are good, that you never do evil, that you have a good plan for our lives. Help us to make sure that we know that you are good, that you do not do evil and let us put evil on those who are doing evil, put evil on the enemy, put evil on the sins of people, put evil on that and not charge you with wrongdoing. Father, help us to fight to get to the promised land. Lord, in this life, let us fight for your promises, knowing that we have to battle to take hold of the promises. They don't just magically happen because we believe, but it takes years. Sometimes it takes a strong battling to be able to get there. Help us to keep trusting you as the one who rescues us, who delivers us, who heals us, who brings us into the victory rather than blaming you for the state that we're in. Let us trust your promises and father, let us trust more than anything in everlasting life in treasures in heaven 
where you straighten out all the injustices, where you take care of everything. Lord, let us trust in you. Bless us and encourage us. In Jesus' name, amen.